Psalm 120. Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Father, I do pray that you would, uh, Lord, encourage us uh, in this passage. Lord, as we uh, come to the table, Lord, I pray that you would be preparing our hearts for that very action. In your son's name, amen. So as with <clears throat> every time I come to worship, um, I did not look at the bulletin to see what song would be sung before um, I arrived on preaching from Psalm 120. And uh, I don't know if Gregory Wilbur and um, Douglas Bond wrote this song based on Psalm 120, but it's a very uh, appropriate um, song to sing prior as we look at this. So this psalm is uh, the first of 15. It's called the Songs of Ascent or the Songs of, de- of, de- excuse me, of Degree. Um, and we don't exactly know what that means. Um, there's some speculations. John Calvin thought that it had to do something with the pitch of the songs. Uh, a medieval rabbi said that there were 15 steps at the temple, therefore one psalm for each step as they went up to worship. Um, But the one that seems more plausible is that these are pilgrim psalms. These are psalms that were sung as the people of God went back to Jerusalem and went up to the temple to worship. So with that as context, let's look at verse 1. It says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. So the psalmist here is reminding us as believers that We are to call out to the Lord in times of distress and trouble, and he will hear. You know, this is not just instructive to us, but the psalmist here is actually giving us a testimony that the Lord, the sovereign Lord, did in fact hear him. Amen? So John Calvin said, men, it is true, have need of God's help at every moment. But there is not a more suitable season for seeking him than when some great danger is immediately menacing us. It is therefore worthy of notice that he was heard from when constrained and shut up by tribulation, he betook himself to the protection of God. So we ought always to pray, not insinuating that we shouldn't, but we ought always to pray. And here we're being encouraged even more so in times of distress because he will hear us. Now, what do you do in times of trouble? Do you worry? Do you complain? Do you take it out on others? Or do you pray? Now, these are convicting questions for myself. So God has us exactly where he wants us. He has us where he he is instructing us in this distress, whatever it might be. Our hope is, again, not in our activity. Our hope is in his sovereignty. Our hope is not in our doing, but it is in his doing for us. 
we are always dependent upon him. But especially when the legs of the sovereign stool that you're sitting on give way and gravity and the ground seem certain, all of us are to cry out to the Lord. Luther, in his commentary of this psalm, points out that the psalmist is not facing some trial of torment or physical torture or persecution uh, from those who surround him, but it's a, it's a trial of lying tongue. It's a trial of treachery. It is what is being said about the psalmist that is causing him this particular trial. He cries out, he says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue in verse 2. The psalmist here is speaking about the trouble that he is facing in the company of pagans, that they are lying about him. And it should remind us that even the, man, even the, the, the person of purest character is not immune from slander. Our Lord Jesus Christ was slandered, though he was and is a purest character. He was blameless in all ways, and yet he was slandered. The psalmist is experiencing something like that as he cries out again, O Lord, deliver me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Calvin comments further on this point. He says, slanderous tongues did not even spare the Son of God a consideration which should induce us to bear the more patiently our condition when the wicked defame us undeservedly, since it is certain that we have here described the common lot of the whole church. <clears throat> so the psalmist is crying out to God and asking for deliverance from lying and a treacherous tongue. And he knows that it is a sure thing that the church as they, as they live among an unbelieving world with no foundation for truth and have the father of lies and the worldview is all wrapped in lies. As Joel was praying, it is a lying culture that we live in. They tell themselves lies as well as lie about us. But as we face this trial, as he faces this trial, he doesn't just pray as an anchor he has another anchor, and that anchor is the sovereign providence and justice of God. You know, he is praying as an anchor, but he also has the answerer of that prayer as his anchor. Verses 3 and 4 says, What shall be given to you, or sh what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. The Lord, the mighty warrior here, will punish with sharp arrows and hot coals from the broom tree. The broom tree was a, was a white tree in the desert and sometimes referred to as the juniper, but its wood burned extremely long and hot. And the psalmist here is describing what the one who has been treacherous with his tongue and speaking against the believer is going to receive from God. Piercing arrows and a long, hot burn. The liar's tongue may shoot arrows that wound superficially. The burns may last but a little, but God's arrows of judgment are much sharper and penetrate much deeper, and his wrath burns much longer and hotter. Hebrews 10.31 reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Derek Kidner says of this, he says, God's coals are hotter and God's arrows are sharper than those of they who afflict God's people with the sins of their tongue. The liar, wounding though his weapons are, will be destroyed with far more potent shafts than lies. God's arrows of truth and his coals of judgment. So the psalmist begins to meditate about the fact that the one who is speaking treacherously against him will in fact incur a far greater judgment than any pains than he can inflict on the believer. So the psalmist meets this trial not only with prayer and not only with a recognition that it's going to happen to believers, but also with an appeal to God's sovereign providence and judgment of those who attack his children. So verses four or five through seven, he continues to meditate here, but he's, he's meditating as he's dwelling in this foreign land. This is a pilgrim who's looking forward to going up to worship. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The psalmist here is saying it's, it's not just that I dwell apart from God's people and in the midst of a predominantly pagan culture. It is that even though I am for peace, they oppose me. They oppose my words. They oppose my message. And when you're there, when we are living in a humanistic pagan land such as our own, we have entered this land. You know, Pastor Kaiser preached on um, entering and conquering and settling and retaining this land that God is giving. We are in this land. We have entered this land. We are to continue to work to see this pagan land and pagan people conquered for the Lord's sake as we live among them by the power of the Spirit and with the peace of Christ. And as the psalmist is saying here, that's my attitude. I want the gospel of Christ and his peace for these people. I want to work for their best interest and see this land transformed by the gospel and the glory of Christ. I want them to see that I serve the Lord God of Israel, even though they are adversarial and antagonistic towards him. The psalmist is engaged in this battle and when he says peace, they say war. And the last words here appear to be spoken by a weary warrior. You know, one who feels alone and, and the battle has been long. And it can be wearisome, can it? As we engage, it can be wearisome, the hard work of conquering for Christ's sake, settling and retaining the land that he has put us in to dwell amongst hostile enemies. My friends, this is something that we should <clears throat> continue to prepare for in our own culture and in our own time. Again, once this culture was deeply ingrained and influenced by Scripture, by Christianity, it is now much, much more aggressively hostile toward the Lord and His Word we can feel like this psalmist. We can feel as if we are strangers in our own towns and cities. But we must not compromise and we must not go along to get along 
be co-opted by this mindset of this culture. We are to live faithfully in this culture of lies and death. And so the psalmist cries out, finding himself at odds with where he lives, finding a weariness of the soul to dwell amongst unbelievers who are hostile. But where does he find relief? Where do we find relief? He can't wait to get up to Jerusalem to worship God, to go up and worship. And that should be our attitude every Lord's Day. Where the Lord has us ministering in our community, working for peace in our culture, uh, working to bear witness of the gospel wherever we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to serve in our vocations with our whole hearts for the glory of Christ, to see God glorified in everything that we do, we can still become weary. So where do we find that refreshment? It's right here in the house of the Lord, worshiping with his people. So as we come now to this glorious table that he has set before us to refresh us and to renew us, it is set before us as we are still living in this culture. It is here to be refreshed and renewed so that we can continue to engage in the battle through the strength of the Spirit with the providence and peace of the Almighty Lord being our encouragement. Amen. Father, as we come to this table now, I pray, Lord, that we would be refreshed, renewed, encouraged, and engaged to continue, Lord, for your sake. Not for our own, not for our glory, but all for your glory. In your Son's precious name, amen.